I just like attention, that's why I do that. <laughs> oh, actually, we've been having uh, sound problems all morning. Pray for the sound system. Pray that it keeps working, because in first service it went out. Actually, I might want to turn it down a little bit. Uh, I like that video because, uh, you know, it pictures a transformation that uh, the artist starts with a lump of clay and ends up making it something beautiful. And that's so similar. I mean, even God is uh, depicted in Scripture as being, uh, you know, a potter who shapes us and we're the clay. And of course, in creation, God literally did that when He made man out of clay. And uh, and so this whole idea of transformation and becoming something new, and not only something new, but taking uh, dirt, as, you, as it were, uh, and shaping it into something beautiful, uh, is not just the, the the topic of that video, but really is the message of the gospel. And this is the last Sunday of 2013, <clears throat> and the end of a year, and of course that means the beginning of the new year. And the, um, kind of just going to be talking about the promise of a new beginning, the promise that God offers through the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have the promise of, of new creation. And then next year, beginning next Sunday, we start our second congregation. We've been going Saturday nights in, um, for, uh, since September. For those of you who may be uh, joining us this morning for the first time, we're launching another church in a about 50-minute drive from here in a rural area called Vandalia. And we've been having Saturday night meetings, but starting next Sunday, we'll be having Sunday morning meetings uh, uh, simultaneously. Their Sunday service is going to start at 10. So we'll have 9.30 here, 10 o'clock there, 11.15 here. And I'm going to run back and forth. No, <laughs> I'm going to alternate. So I'll, uh, uh, I'm going to be preaching down there next Sunday. Mark will be preaching here. And then the following week, we switch. And we've actually got it scheduled. Um, this is a miracle in and of itself. That we have the first six months of 2014 scheduled. Who's speaking where? There's actually a total of nine speakers that will be rotating through um, uh, and the topic. And so it's pretty exciting uh, that uh, God kind of just laid on our heart to, to take a year and go deep into our core values each month looking at a different aspect of our core values. So that's what we'll be uh, launching with uh, next week. But today we're talking about new creation and what's available. And this is based on 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. I'm just going to go ahead and read that. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold! Hence the title of the message. Behold! All things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself uh, through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us uh, the word of reconciliation. It goes on and says, Now then, we are ambassadors... For Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I just love this passage. It's one of the passages where Paul kind of sums up the big picture ideas of the message of the Bible and just compresses it in, in a way that I think only Paul can do. This, this huge, uh, epic, you know, uh, message of, of, of Scripture and the working of God into just these few verses and, and ties everything together in his exhortation to the church in Corinth. Well, we're going to kind of uh, take this verse by verse and, and, uh, and pull out uh, parts of it that we can hopefully apply to our lives. Uh, verse 17 from the Amplified. And if you're not familiar, the Amplified is, is they just put all of the words in. when They translated it. It's like as many words as they can fit. <clears throat> so that to try to communicate, you know, when you go from one language to another, it's, it's difficult to communicate one word for one word because a word embraces many ideas and so they kind of expand that. It's amplified. Therefore, if any person is engrafted, uh, that whole idea of just being that, that that's a picture of, of what we are when we come to Christ. We're actually grafted in um, uh, an image of, uh, I don't know if many people, we don't live in a community probably that have probably never seen that. I grew up, we had an orchard, so I knew the idea, although we never did it, in which uh, you take a branch from one tree and you graft it into another tree and that actually changes the nature of the fruit that that tree produces. And we're engrafted in Christ, the Messiah. He is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. So, a new creation, a new creature altogether. That's what that word means. Uh, the word that's translated, you are a new creation, is not just uh, new as in like, you have an old car and now you have a new car. It's as in a new species. As though, boy, they discovered a whole new species that they didn't knew existed before. And so that's what that means. It means uh, of a different kind. New in the sense of a different kind. And it goes on, it's a, we're no longer fallen. You know, that's who we were. That, that was our nature. We're no longer merely human. You know, if you've been engrafted into Christ, that means you're not just human. You know, I'm just human. Is it, you know, you make a mistake, so, well, I'm just human. Well, there's a point, and, and if you embrace this and believe this and allow it to work in your life, if you're truly in Christ, you're not just human. Right? Where's the Holy Spirit supposed to dwell? Next door? At church? In your Bible? Where's the Holy Spirit? In us! In you! Christ in you! The hope of glory. So if Jesus is actually in you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, well then you're not just human. So if you make a mistake, what do you do? Ugh. It was just my human side. <laughs> How about that? And that's far we're here, right? We're more than human. We're, we're really something new, something different. And this is something that we enter into now. Um, Paul is speaking. This is he was speaking, you know, uh, and that this is something that's happened once we're in Christ. We're no longer merely a son of Adam. Right? We're now sons of God. 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should become children of God. Wow! Through adoption, through Christ, we're, we're kin with God. All right? And it's more than just a legal adoption, where it's like He's legally responsible for us. No, it's more than that. We actually, in some way, and I can't explain to you how. Who knows? You know, I could talk for hours about it. But how it actually happens, how our nature is transformed into the nature of Christ, the process of sanctification, how can that possibly be? It is a miracle. It's a mystery. But it's the power of God where His spiritual DNA is transforms our spiritual DNA so that it changes us just like when a tree is grafted into another tree, that the nature of the tree and the nature of the fruit that that tree bears is transformed. So that's what it means by being a new creation. A a very famous commentator, his name is uh, Adam Clark. He lived about 250, wrote this about probably about 200 to 250 years ago. Um, and I like it. <clears throat> it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. It is vain. And vain just means worthless, empty, meaningless. For a man, a person, to profess affinity to Christ according to the flesh while he is unchanged in his heart and life and dead in trespasses and sin. For he that is in Christ, that is a genuine Christian, having Christ dwelling in his heart by faith, is a new creature. His old state is changed. He was a child of Satan. He is now a child of God. He was a slave of sin. And his works were death. He is now made free from sin. And he and has his fruit unto holiness. And the end everlasting life. He was before full of pride and wrath. He is now meek and humble. He formerly had his portion in this life and lived for this world alone. He now hath God for his portion and he looks not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are eternal. Therefore, old things have passed away. So Adam Clark's just describing what this passage is talking about and that transformation of what happens to an individual. He continues, Behold, all things becomes new. The man is not only mended, but is made, uh, but he, he is new made. He is a new creature. And this is where we often uh, make the mistake <clears throat> that we think that the gospel is about fixing our broken parts. Alright? And that we were broken and so we need Jesus to come and fix us. And that's not the full gospel. Because it's not just fixing our broken, it's not just mending back to, so, you know, you did something and it caused a wound and now you're gonna be back so you don't have that wound anymore. It actually means that we are made new. We become a different type of creature, a different type of being, a completely different person. And so it goes beyond fixing what's broken because ultimately we're completely broken. Right? And so you just put us back the way we were, we'd still be broken. That's right. And so he says, no, it's got to go further than that. I actually have to rewrite the code. And he does that through Christ so that we become a new creation. A little world in himself. 
Uh, Clark kind of illustrates it in that way. Formerly, all was chaotic disorder. Now there is a new creation which God Himself owns as His workmanship and which He can look on and pronounce very good. Of course, that is bringing back the image of the original creation and comparing it to the new creation in Christ. And we can see something. We can learn something about how God created the world and the story in Genesis and how that applies or how that can be a, a way to understand how God works. All right? And so the things of the old, we look and say, what does that speak to us in this new creation? And the Scriptures, Paul is writing, and God is using the word creation on purpose to bring to mind the order of creation uh, that we read about in the, uh, uh, when God created the heavens and the earth. And it says that at first everything was chaotic. Everything was in disorder. There was darkness. But then the Spirit came and, and brooded over the surface of the deep. And so we have the coming of the Holy Spirit. But that wasn't quite enough, was it? And then He spoke. All right, and it was the spoken word with the the, the the abiding of the spirit combined to bring order, and we see that out of chaos, God's word orders uh, what, what the creation and all of the things were created in its proper place and proper time, and proper way, and things come together. <clears throat> but I see even more than that. Some people stop at that point. I see even more because God took that lump of clay. Kind of like what the video displayed. Uh, Potter taking a lump of clay and making it beautiful. God took a lump of clay. And you know, when, when God took that chunk of clay that became Adam and sat it down, that clay had no ability to become a human. Did it? In and of itself. You know, uh, Mr. Dawkins can argue this. Richard Dawkins and other people. You know who Richard, how many know who Richard Dawkins is? <laughs> Good. <laughs> so you know, listen to a to an atheist. There, there are better atheists, but his arguments aren't, aren't very good. <laughs> um, but he's he's just uh, he's just he's an he's an atheist that's like an evangelist atheist. Uh, so. But as much as Richard Dawkins may believe, you take a lump of clay, I don't care how many billions of years you wait, it will not turn into a human being. All right? God fashioned that lump of clay into something it, it did not in and of itself have the potential to become. And once He formed it, then He became intimate with it. He put His face to the face of Adam and He breathed into Adam the breath of life. And that breath, that intimate breath and the indwelling spirit, it says, and Adam became a living being. And so life is transmitted through that intimate, uh, intimate relationship. And so that's what I see, a comparison of the old creation and how that then is worked out in the new creation. The same type of order uh, done in the course of the life of an individual and in, in whatever aspect that the new creation touches, which we're going to hopefully get to. So, uh, <clears throat> five, eight, verse 18, it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All things are of God. And this is just stating God's sovereignty. Everything 
is of God. It belongs to God. It came from God. It's under God's domain. It says, uh, this God reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And a commentator I used said that here Paul uses one of his great doctrinal words. This is the word he uses for the term reconciliation that's most often translated throughout uh, Paul's writing, which is a Greek word, katalasso, maybe. I don't know how to pronounce Greek. <clears throat> it's all Greek to me. But it's a word for, uh, uh, it's an old word in the Greek language that referred to the exchanging of money, exchanging coins. And so, uh, the idea here is that reconciliation is a transaction. Now, when we hear the reconciliation, you probably don't think of exchanging currency. But when they heard that word, when Paul spoke it, or when it was read um, to the churches in, in uh, the original audience that it was written to, that image came to mind very quickly. And it reminds me of a story I visited to, uh, about ten years ago. We took a team to Morocco which is a great place. I want to go back really bad. Right, really good. I really goodly want to go back. Because <laughs> they have great food. It was a great adventure. <clears throat> but um, we get into Morocco. We spent 10 days primarily prayer walking, uh, worshiping, doing communion all over the place. and had the opportunity to witness quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> and they told me, they told the whole team, uh, before you leave, exchange your money. Any money, because when you go to a country, you take your cash and you exchange it to the local currency and you use that currency uh, to purchase things. <clears throat> and I, I don't know the name of the currency. I can never pronounce it right, so I won't even try. And so I had this Moroccan currency. And I heard that, and I sort of believed it, but I really didn't embrace it because I didn't go to the money exchange before I got on the boat. And lo and behold, I got on the boat, and it's, a, it's like an hour and a half, two-hour ride across the Straits of Gibraltar from uh, Africa up into Spain, and that's where we caught our flight. And there's a there's a cafe, and I knew that because we'd come over on the boat, and so I was planning on getting food to eat on, on the boat. And they were buying and selling stuff, but once the boat left the dock, uh, I'm like, okay, now I'll go down and get something, you know, because it was kind of okay. And I was just at sea for a few hours. Went down and I pulled out my Moroccan money, and the person didn't speak English, just looked at it, and you know, I, I pulled out coins. I just went. Oh, 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 they'll take bills. And I fall up and went, like that money had absolutely no value. Right? Out of that country. I mean, in the country, it doesn't have much value. <laughs> but out of the country, nobody wants the Moroccan currency because it's virtually useless. Right? And so I just really, uh, for me, it communicated this lesson that uh, outside of the country, that currency has no value. And Paul uses this image uh, for us that we need to exchange uh, the currency, if you will, the things of value in our old life when we come into this new life. All right? And we can't carry it with us. We must exchange everything. All right? Nothing can be held back. Nothing can be held onto from the old life. Because once the boat leaves the dock, it's worthless. 
Right? And that's the word, you know, people in Paul's day, they knew that because they would, it, would, it was quite easy to travel from one region to another and there were local currencies that would be exchanged. And, uh, you know, in order to make purchases, to make trade, they have to be able to exchange money. Even in the temple, there's the money changers and, and the way the uh, change of, uh, in order for the proper worship. Um, <clears throat> but, we need to change everything when we come in to worshiping the King of Kings. Right? And in a spiritual sense, things that we carry on from the old life not only becomes useless, it becomes destructive, cancerous, if you will. If you carry something from the old life into the new life, it can become deadly. So what I mean by that is thought processes, Ways that you understand yourself. Ways that you understand the world. Ways that you understand God even. Ways that you uh, live. Lifestyle practices. Really, everything. If you're going to be a new creation. This doesn't remove your identity, by the way. It actually reveals your true identity. Because you were created to bear the image of Christ. Alright? And you are created to bear it in a unique way. In a way no other person can. So the whole purpose of this is to remove the old that actually encumbers and, 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 and hides your true identity so that you can be, but if you hold on to that old stuff, the stuff that's connected to the chaos, the stuff of death, the stuff of destruction, the stuff that is a result of sin and, 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 and is sin and, and, and leads to death, that just uh, becomes cancerous in your life. So every aspect of our lives needs to be tran- uh, transformed, exchanged, or reconciled. That's really what it needs to be. It needs to be brought into reconciliation. So every aspect of our lives, uh, whether it be aspects from the past, <clears throat> and so even if something happened years ago, maybe from your childhood or from a previous relationship, and there's issues, that needs to be reconciled with Christ. You need to take those experiences, take that uh, uh, the, whatever ideas that you, uh, or, or feelings or emotions that you carry from that, and reconcile them to Christ. How would Jesus deal with that? Uh, what would the touch of Jesus uh, mean on that situation? Present tense. Uh, what are you doing with your life now? What is your mind filled with? What is your heart filled with? What is your mouth filled with? What is your time filled with? Those things need to be reconciled, brought into relationship with Jesus Christ. And it applies to a future um, that uh, uh, our purpose, our destiny, our direction, our desires, the things that we hope for, long for, plan for, work for, all those things must come into reconciliation. In other words, be, be in active living relationship with Jesus Christ, revealing the new nature that we have uh, as new creation. <clears throat> and it says, reconciled to Himself through Christ, Himself being God. So, uh, this was God's purpose, that He wanted everything, every aspect of our lives to be reconciled with Himself. All right? God, personally, through relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, this, this phrase, it's actually a quote, somebody else first said it, but, you know, uh, with God, everything is personal. It's absolutely true. You know, it's, being a Christian, coming in relation with God is not about 
having a distant, um, uh, peaceful relationship with someone you want to kind of avoid in life. But you're, you're, you have a truce, all right? You know, that you've, you've done the right things and now we get along and he's not angry at you and you're just gonna live within the constraints. You know, it's not like you relate to a government, you know, you just hope they never call. Like the IRS. You know, I try to do everything I'm supposed to do, even though no one actually tells you what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to figure it out. <laughs> you know, and you just hope the IRS never calls. How many hope the IRS never calls you? Right. You should, please. I got a bill once here at the church from the IRS for $10,000. I'm like, oh, my word. And it was from like, oh, it's crazy. It took me years. It took me five years to finally. You didn't know what. <clears throat> um, that's not the way God is. God wants... To be reconciled to himself, personally. Every part of you. You know why? Because he loves you personally. And he's big enough, he's got the capacity to have a personal relationship with every man, woman, and child on planet Earth throughout all time. He's big enough to be there concerning your problems, your pains, as well as your your, you know, the good parts of your life, your joys, your blessings. That's how big he is. And he wants uh, all of it to be reconciled, to be brought into relationship with him. So, <clears throat> so that's, that's a huge part of it. But to interpret it and apply this verse only to ourselves is actually to misunderstand it and misunderstand the purpose of the verse. Because the transaction or the transformation begins personally, but then demands us, as well as empowers us, to cause the same transformation, the same transaction, the same reconciliation to occur around us. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not enough for you just to be transformed. Because part of that transformation is being given the ministry of reconciliation. And I just looked up the word uh, given and it can be translated all these different ways. It actually can be translated the adventure. The adventure. This is an adventure that we're on. You know, it's not just something personal. It's set us on a journey, an adventure. Uh, He's bestowed it. He brings it forth. He's committed this. The ministry of reconciliation. Like, when I get to heaven, I'm like, God, what were you thinking? You know? Don't you think angels just appearing from heaven, pronouncing it, would do a better job than us, you know, Christians who try really hard and often put our feet squarely in our mouths? You know? No, He's delivered this up. He's committed to it. He's granted us this ministry of uh, reconciliation. Uh, He's offered it. We have the power to do it. Uh, we've received it. He's set it into us. And the last one is smite. He's smit, smited us. You know, it means they hit us with the ministry of reconciliation. And so it's uh, uh, equal with experiencing it personally is the call and the empowerment to uh, share it, to minister it, to give it away. Um, it says in the next verse, says, I like that Paul then explains what the ministry of reconciliation is. He says he's given us a ministry of reconciliation, and then in these two verses, he tells us what that ministry is. He uh, defines it very clearly, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So just like in creation, 
You have the Spirit, and then the Word has to come forth. Well, this is our part in that creative order, is that He's committed to us the Word of reconciliation, where we speak uh, this truth of Jesus Christ. We communicate to those still in chaos about the light that's come that brings order in life. That's our role. It says, now then, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So then he kind of goes into ambassador mode and pleads with them. And he's giving us an example of how we are to interact how we are to uh, conduct ourselves as ambassadors and as ministers of reconciliation by pleading and imploring those who don't know Christ yet to be reconciled, to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And the, the word world actually can be translated, it's, it's the word that we have, it's actually the Greek word cosmos, we use cosmos. It means the whole of creation, uh, it means the little, uh, the, the, the physical creation, like atoms and molecules and rocks and planets and stars and, and solar systems and gravity and uh, <coughs> light and electricity, all of that. But it also means government systems, economic systems. How much, you know, we're affected as much, if not more, by political systems and economic systems as we are by the weather systems. Right? <laughs> Come on. You know, weather system a little more uh, reliable <laughs> economic systems, you know. And we live in probably one of the most more stable countries in the world. Uh, um, so it refer and cosmos refers to all of it. And is our we're ministries of reconciliation to all of it. And I love this verse in uh, Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> it says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Huh. You know that creation has a will? And against its will... I wonder what that means. Think about that for a while. But with eager hope. Oh, so creation actually has hope as well as will. Is he just personifying it? Or is there something deeper here? That creation looks forward. The cosmos is looking forward to the day. Like built into the essence of creation is this anticipation for what? When it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Paul here in Romans kind of talking about the same idea is that there's a, there's an anticipation in creation itself and that we see the groans and the upheaval uh, as though it were childbirth. <clears throat> and we're put into the midst of that to be agents of reconciliation. Creation needs reconciliation and we are the agents of that reconciliation, of that transformation. And this includes the transformation of every aspect. Uh, now, everybody has different level of influence. And so, you need to figure out your level of influence or what God's, the level of influence God's called you to and begin to operate into bringing that 
sphere of influence, whatever influence. Maybe it's just you, your sphere of influence is just your kids. Uh, well, wow, that means you're, you've been assigned to, tra- to uh, prepare the next generation. That's not something small. That's the biggest thing there is. Or maybe you're a business owner, so you can, uh, you can affect how you do business and how you uh, uh, treat your employees, how you treat your clients. Uh, maybe you're a teacher. You can shape the uh, uh, classroom or you're a student. You can uh, understand and, and learn how you can position your life uh, to bring reconciliation, to bring the knowledge and the person and the life of Jesus Christ into uh, uh, a, uh, a life, a transforming relationship with every aspect of creation. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so it goes beyond just the personal, and it goes beyond uh, that to affecting uh, the world around us. <clears throat> all of it as an outworking of what's happened personally, um, and then transferring that to someone close to us. You know, it's great to want to uh, change the world. Uh, somewhere far away. We have to begin with the per- persons that we're close to, you know, because if there's, if it, it really all boils down to, I believe in big change. God does revivals and there can be massive change on, 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 uh, you know, huge scales, but most transformation happens one at a time. When, when another individual hears your story or they, um, see the transformation in your life and they catch it, you know, and so something, I've seen this happen so many times in my life, where somebody was disconnected from God, but because of a testimony, or they hear something, they hear it one more time, maybe they've heard it for a hundred times, but they hear it one more time, something happens, and they get it, and they catch it, and, they be, and that transformation begins. They get engrafted to happen to their life. And as it spreads outwardly, the influence of that transformation will gradually, I believe, cause like uh, waves of influencing, affecting our culture, affecting the world. And we've seen this. If you study history, Christianity has had an enormous impact on, on all of society. Even non-Christian societies have been powerfully impacted uh, by the truths of Christianity. <clears throat> now, I, you do have to... Let me clarify one thing, because some people in the past have made the mistake um, thinking that that is how the kingdom of God will come, that if we just preach the gospel enough, everybody will get saved and there will be a a Christian world and then the kingdom will come and there will be no more uh, sin. It's like a gradual betterment of humanity until we reach a utopian state. Uh, First of all, that just doesn't work. They've tried it. Doesn't work on a small scale, doesn't work on a large scale, and it's not the message that the Bible teaches. That's not the hope the Bible teaches. Alright? <clears throat> what it does teach is that at each generation, we reach as many as we can in our generation. Alright? And, and you know what a generation is? This is the, be- this is the, how you define a generation. Everybody that's alive. Right now. <laughs> so as long as you're alive, your generation is everybody else that's alive. Right? And then when you're dead, you're done. Right? And then it's somebody else's generation. So this generation, that's us, we're called to reach this generation until we die. And then it's handed off to the next generation. And then that generation will face the challenges of that generation. And it'll be different. 
Uh, uh, and this continues generation after generation until one generation will actually be alive and King Jesus will descend from heaven with a, with a trumpet sound and he will establish his rule on earth for eternity. <clears throat> All right, so how do we respond to this? Uh, personally, of course, uh, I, wanna a- I want you to ask yourself, is there any loose change from your old life that you're carrying around in your pocket? You know? Or worse, do you have a balance on your past life credit card? Right? <laughs> now, there's a debt that you've carried into the new life that you haven't resolved. You know, if, if you declare bankruptcy, and I've seen the actual paperwork of uh, uh, someone that's gone through bankruptcy, because uh, it was powerful and uh, showed to me that uh, the legal document the very end says that your debts are forgiven. Huh. Uh, wow. Uh, in a spiritual sense, if you have a, a, a debt that you've carried from the old life into the new life, if you have currency, if you have stuff from the life of chaos, from the life of death, from the life of sin, uh, that's still uh, you know, weighing you down, you just need to declare bankruptcy. And that means you take it to the cross, you ask forgiveness, and you receive forgiveness. You repent of it. You renounce it. It's no longer yours. And Jesus paid the price. You can walk free from that. Don't carry that baggage around. Don't carry a pocket of useless, uh, destructive coins in your pocket. Uh, come and receive forgiveness. So just, just let's pray for a minute. Can you just close your eyes? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Father, and I ask that you'd reveal in, in all of our lives, in my life, Lord, if there's, if there's pocket change from the old life that we, we're comfortable, we're kind of keeping it like a souvenir when we don't realize not only does it not have value, but it's destructive. Uh, Lord, if, or if there's a debt we're carrying, burdened by shame and guilt, Lord, we bring that to the cross. And we yield it to you. And we confess, I'm forgiven by the power of Jesus' name. Just want to say that out loud. Say, I am forgiven by the power of Jesus' blood shed for me. And I become a new creation in Christ by faith. Amen. Alright, well, if you've never prayed before, You just became a Christian. (laughs) All right, it's a new year, it's a new start. Let's start the new year free from all debt. And the second way to respond is communally. How does this affect our community? How does it affect our world? All creation, the scripture said, is eagerly waiting for the revelation of the children of, of, of God, who they really are, their real nature. We need to believe that the world actually wants to see us in our new creation state. And so most Christians think that the world doesn't want to hear what you have to say. Don't believe them. Okay? The world is dying to hear what you want to say. Now, if they respond angrily or, or rudely or argue with you or write you off, don't worry about it. Learn how to communicate it in a better way. But, you know, they, they responded that way to Jesus, ended up killing him, and now he's transformed. There's over two billion Christians on planet Earth today. Are you to hear me? 
the, the truth is that they're hungry for it. And actually, I've found that even people who are diehard atheists, if they hear genuine uh, testimony of how God's transformed your life, it opens up something. I have a friend who's a staunch atheist, but he respects my faith. He says he, he's actually coming. If more Christians were like, you know, his, me, you know, uh, I forget what it was, you know, it'd be more believable or something like that, because he sees, he knows me personally. All the other Christians, he just knows through the media. You hear me? <clears throat> so we communicate. Don't cloak yourself in worldliness. Don't think you have to hide your Christianity with a cloak of worldliness to be accepted by those in the world. No. Unveil. They're waiting eagerly uh, for the unveiling, for the revealing. <clears throat> and you can do that now. It's something you can step in now because Jesus is in you now. Yes, it will be fulfilled when Christ returns, uh, but we're called to walk in that now in preparation of that return. So I just challenge you to find ways to reveal Jesus Christ and not only just to reveal Him, but to bring those aspects of your life into a reconciliation with Christ. Amen. Mark has some announcements. Awesome. Thank you, Cameron.